0: Well, I want to begin here by showing you a picture that we took, my family and I, about two years ago as we were uh, leaving New Orleans, going across what's known as the Causeway Bridge. Why my family was leaving New Orleans two years ago, about Mardi Gras time is none of your business. (laughs) Talk about that some other time if you'd like. But this is a picture we took, and this this bridge is called called the Causeway Bridge. It goes from the northern edge of New Orleans across Lake Pontchartrain to the southern edge of Mississippi. Now, if you don't take this bridge, you have to go for miles and miles around east or west if you want to span that same distance. So about the middle of the 20th century, this bridge was created. It is a 24-mile-long bridge, the longest bridge in the world over a body of water. Now, I, we took this picture because as best a picture can, it captures the feeling you get going across. I noticed, for me, it, it felt kind of lonely You see, there's not a ton of traffic, whether that's because others are a little skittish about the bridge or not. Maybe it's just the time of day, but there wasn't much traffic. You felt lonely, feel a bit exposed out on this bridge in the middle of this huge body of water. You feel a little bit at risk. There are call stations here and there, and it reminds you that if you were to be in an emergency, it would take a long time for someone to get to you out there. But Since we went across this bridge, I've been thinking about it, and this really image, this has come to represent for me what all those feelings wrapped up into one word really represent, which is to be vulnerable. You feel vulnerable going across the Causeway Bridge, or at least I know a lot of people do, and and most of us avoid vulnerability, and understandably so. But interestingly, importantly, Jesus doesn't seem to avoid vulnerability. Today we're going to read a story found in Matthew chapter 26. You can look it up now if you'd like. It's on page 757 in the Bibles underneath your chairs. We'll have words on the screen too. But rather than avoid vulnerability, Jesus seems to walk right into the face of it as we see in this story. And I believe that's because he knows what it can produce and what the only alternative to it is, which we're going to talk about. Before we read this story, let me just let you know where it fits in the overall story of Jesus' life and ministry. Shortly before this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, has agreed to betray Jesus for a sum of money to the religious leaders. And then after that, they share their final Passover meal together, what we call the Last Supper. And from there, they head to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And that's where we pick up the story. Would you stand, please, as I read this out loud? Starting in verse 31 of chapter 26, it says this. On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane and he said sit here while I go over there to pray He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons James and John and he became anguished and distressed He told them my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground praying my father If it is possible let this cup of suffering be taken away from me yet. I want your will to be done not mine Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. My friends, this is God's word to us today. Thanks be to God. God, we do thank you for your word. As always, we ask your help to be yielded to its work in us today. May that be so. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The Power of Vulnerability is actually the title of a famous TED Talk given by someone named Brene Brown about 10 years ago or so. Uh, In fact, it has become one of the most watched TED Talks ever given, if you're familiar with those talks. Watched over 40 million times. And in it, Brene Brown, who's a social researcher, shared a lot of her findings and those of her colleagues, which essentially showed that there is great power in being vulnerable to help people be connected to one another, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I just want to point out now that while Brene Brown and her fellow researchers and colleagues did put fresh language on this insight, it is not a new insight. It's actually an ancient truth that I believe is actually woven into the very fabric of existence as we know it. To be vulnerable means this. It means to be capable of or susceptible to being wounded or hurt. To be capable of or susceptible to being wounded or hurt. Which is exactly what we see Jesus doing in this story. Repeatedly, actually. Now, when we imagine being vulnerable, being susceptible to being wounded or hurt, we often think about that as being foolish, at least in our usual way of the world. But what we see in this story is that actually it is a an incredible display of both power and strength there are three ways jesus made himself vulnerable and each one of these he actually predicted presumably meaning he knew it would happen and then allowed it to happen nonetheless first jesus allows himself to be betrayed and not just by anyone but by one of his 12 closest friends judas He predicted it would happen among other times while they were sharing this special meal together and then actually allowed it to happen. He sees them coming and yet lets them come. Next, Jesus allows himself to be abandoned by his closest friends, the other 11, at his moment of greatest need. And he again predicted that this would happen. They swore it wouldn't. And yet at the moment of truth, it did. And finally... Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and mistreated by the religious leaders here and ultimately put to death by the Romans. And again, he predicted all this would happen and saw things unfolding the way things were unfolding and nonetheless, right here at this moment, allowed it to happen. Now, I will argue that all this took great courage, but it still begs the question, why? Why would he allow all that to happen after he knew it would happen? And clearly he didn't have to. There's that little part there where it's actually Peter, not named in this gospel, but in another gospel named Peter, who grabs the sword, slashes off the guard's ear, and Jesus says, put the sword away. After all, you're a fisherman. You're going to get yourself hurt. (laughs) Put the sword away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And remember, even right now, at this moment, I could call to my father. He'd send thousands of angels, and this would all go away. But he didn't. Hold that thought for a second. If we're to back way up at the beginning of the biblical story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you'll see that there's this beautiful story. God creates all that there is. And as he creates a new thing, he says it was good. It was good. It was very good. But there was one thing that wasn't good. He said it is not good for man to be alone. And so at that point, God sets off to create this suitable companion for the first man, and he creates the first woman, Eve. But the point is, the only thing not good is that it's not good for man to be alone. Now, I know the extroverts in the room right now are like, preach, brother, absolutely. But the introverts are like, look, I don't mean to call the accuracy of the Bible into question or whatever, but I'm pretty sure that's not true. It is good to be alone. Well, now, as a person with like a split personality, who's like a six or seven on the extrovert scale and a six or seven on the introvert scale, which I didn't know could happen, but I'm telling you it's happened, I get both of those impulses. But I will say this, no matter how many people are around us, there is a big difference between having time alone and being alone and being isolated. It is not good for man to be alone or woman, and yet we are. Lots of people have been trying to call our attention to this for a long time. We are more connected than ever, and yet across the board reports say we are more lonely and isolated than ever maybe in the history of mankind. This is true across gender boundaries, but it's especially true of men. Among other people, uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and his co-author, Jacqueline Olds, have produced uh, some research that they've published. Uh, Their book is called The Lonely American, Drifting Apart in the 21st Century. And among other things, Dr. Schwartz has really focused on the isolation of middle-aged men. It's true of women, too, but especially of middle-aged men and the consequences for their physical health. There are all kinds of physical maladies tied to people being isolated and alone. Loneliness has been linked, even after correcting for other factors, to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke, the progression of Alzheimer's. One study even found that isolation can be as much of a long-term risk factor as smoking. So the truth is, being disconnected from friends is incredibly bad for our long-term health. In fact, shockingly bad, they say. So much so, the U.S. Surgeon General says that isolation is a bigger American health problem than cancer or heart disease. That's just the physical impacts of this isolation. So why is this happening? Well, specifically talking about men in our culture, the two primary pursuits we're often told to to go after, work and family, take a lot of our time and attention. And so we drift into this sort of social isolation. And what's more than those pressures is that consciously or otherwise, many men believe that talking about personal matters with other men is not manly. And the result means that we often have a lot fewer close or deep friendships or none at all, and instead just more casual surface-level friendships between men, which makes those connections weaker, less vital, and harder to sustain, and so we don't sustain them and don't think it's all that big of a deal when we don't. And yet here we are. I've just described some of the health problems associated with this isolation, and that doesn't speak to the bigger problems of meaning and significance that can only come through genuine, deep connections. As one researcher put it, this is what happens when half the population, men, gets the message that needing others is a sign of weakness and that being vulnerable is unmanly. And I would argue that if any of us in the room have taken on that script, we have believed a lie that has allowed us actually to live in cowardice instead of courage. Because it takes courage to admit that we need one another. And that we actually need more, one another more than just that sort of the functional level. We need one another in terms of deep connections because that's at the heart of what it means to be a human being. And whether woman or man, whether we like it or not, vulnerability is the bridge to connection. Now, in the cosmic sense, this is actually how Jesus has done for us what he has done for us. He surrendered himself to such mistreatment as what we saw in this story, to be betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends, to be abandoned by the rest, and then to be handed over to his opponents, which led to the ultimate mistreatment, which was his death as a criminal on a Roman cross, despite his pure and complete innocence. That according to the rest of the New Testament that interprets these events for us, that is actually the way we are reconnected to God. Despite the separation between us and God that has resulted from our sin, our rebellion, our desire, and eventually decision to go it our own way, in Second Corinthians 5, Paul says that God was in Christ, including in this moment that we read about, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them anymore. And in Romans 1, that same writer, Paul, famously said this, I'm not ashamed, though many are, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation to heal our lives and our world itself. And this story that we just read about, this story of Jesus being vulnerable in the garden shows us that it is vulnerability that unlocks and unleashes that power of God for salvation into our lives. So it's true in the cosmic sense that vulnerability is the bridge to connection, but it's also true in the personal relational sense between us. Because if you think about it, there actually is no other way to create true connection than through vulnerability, than to allow ourselves to be truly seen and trust that we'll still be loved and accepted by the other person. Because, again, if you think about it, the alternative to that, when we present this false image of self-sufficiency and perfection and having everything all together, what we're actually presenting to someone else and asking them to love is an illusion, not a, a real person. And therefore, we're asking them to love someone who's not there. And so the only way to build real connections is through vulnerability, yet we're terrified of it. We're terrified of placing ourselves into the hands of another Pretty well known that when surveys of fears are done, people repeatedly report that they have a deeper fear of public speaking than of death itself. A deeper fear, and it's a more common fear. Which, whatever else we may say about that, and regardless of whether a person does public speaking or not, the real instinct is this, that as humans, left to our own devices, we would rather die alone than face the risk of rejection through vulnerability. Now, back to the story we read a little bit ago. It's interesting. Peter swears that he will never abandon Jesus, even that he will go to death with him if that's what it takes. And when the guards come to arrest him, he's ready to make good on that promise. He gets out his sword. He starts to fight even. He is apparently willing to go to death before he abandons Jesus. But then he realizes that Jesus intends to hand himself over. And at that moment, That's when Peter deserts, and so do the rest. And I do not think that timing is a coincidence. See, we see here that vulnerability takes greater courage than does a tight grip of control, or certainly than presenting some sort of perfect false self to the world around us. I mentioned earlier this talk that Brene Brown gave the power of vulnerability. What she and some of her colleagues had done was do these thousands of interviews trying to do qualitative research into how some people seem to live wholeheartedly, which she describes as being, uh, living with this deep sense of love and belonging. And she said at the end, you could boil these thousands of people down to two groups, those who do live with a strong sense of love and belonging and those who really struggle with that and to maintain deep connections. Said there was really one variable. Those who lived with that wholeheartedness believed they were worthy of receiving love meaning she says the one thing that keeps us from love and belonging is our fear that we don't deserve it meaning that if we were seen we would actually be rejected if we were to be seen for who we really are which then led to this there was one key correlation that linked people who were living in this wholehearted way and it was vulnerability Lived out in things like the courage and willingness to tell someone I love you first, risking the rejection, being willing to do something where there were no guarantees, being willing to invest in a relationship or a friendship that may or may not work out on the other end. And so then she described this dilemma that we all find ourselves in. When we let ourselves be truly seen to be vulnerable, we tap into the very core of our shame, our fear, our struggle for worthiness, and we seek to numb all that with all kinds of things. But vulnerability is also the birthplace of joy, creativity, and the love and belonging we each desire so deeply. And so at the end of the day, Brene Brown said this, vulnerability is our most accurate measurement of courage. And I think she's right. And if you look at Jesus, I think maybe you'll think she's right too. Because you'll never find one more courageous or full of love nor will you find someone who is more vulnerable when actually he could have chosen a different route. And yet he didn't. This is the way that he walked and calls us to walk. As we close, I want to give C.S. Lewis the final word because I basically think that's always a good idea. You can never go wrong if you give C.S. Lewis the last word. He said this in his book, The Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable. If you love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable and irredeemable the alternative to tragedy or at least the risk of tragedy is damnation the only place outside of heaven and new creation where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell and c.s lewis quote now you know hell is understood in several different ways by christians but ultimately, it's always been about this eternal and full separation between us and God and us and everyone around us, which no matter how, how you dice it, is to be isolated and to be alone. And it's only through lowering our defenses and letting God in that our lives can be healed and made whole and alive again. And it's not a coincidence that the heart of the gospel of Jesus speaks to this deepest of our fears. This fear that if we were really seen, we'd actually be rejected by saying that God already sees us just as we are, and actually loves us more than we can even comprehend. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that those he's writing to and praying for would know the love of God in Christ that surpasses knowledge. So if you're here today, and you find yourself sort of starving for love and belonging and deep connections, maybe even searching for it in all kinds of wrong places and you know it, but at the end of the day, find yourself isolated and alone, let me encourage you to lean into this deep truth of the gospel. Let me encourage you to take the most courageous step you possibly could. First of all, by making yourself open to the healing love and presence of God, and then second, making yourself open and even vulnerable to those in your life. Now, make no mistake, there is a real risk there. You could be betrayed, you could be rejected, you could be abandoned, you could be mistreated, and if so, remember, you're in good company. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. But also consider the alternative, the only alternative, which is to remain isolated and alone and essentially to give up a core part of our humanity, what it means to be made in God's image. And finally, consider this good news. That is actually the path to life that is truly life. Because it's an act of real life confidence and faith in Jesus himself and what he says is true about us, and a real life step of confidence in the way of life he calls us to. So may we have the courage and the faith to trust him enough to live in that sort of way. May that be so. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we come to your word again, always I find I am challenged and no doubt some of my friends in the room are challenged by what we see through the courage of Jesus to let himself be mistreated in such a way as this. Lord, help us to believe the good news that you love us more than we could possibly imagine. And that through not a false display of strength or perfection, but through vulnerability, you unlock a life that you want to bring to bear within us. That is what we ultimately long for. So help us to have the courage and faith to follow you, Lord Jesus. May that be so. Amen.